Welcome and thanks for listening to the Spirit of Time podcast. It's a spirited discussion of watch topics and some of the cool bon vivant stuff that overlaps our hobby, especially fine spirits, craft beer, cocktails, and wine. In other words, if it's boozy, smoky, sudsy, or smooth, we'll probably talk about it. Think of it as a watch-focused happy hour for your commute. We are your hosts. I am Matt. I'm Greg. Thanks for listening and enjoy the episode. Dude, what is up, Greg? It is so good to see you. It feels like it's been forever. Because uh, it sort of has been. <laughs> You're not wrong in saying that. You know, it's uh, you know summer. I know a lot of people take time for not only um, their families and themselves, and I hope everybody who listens uh, had a chance to do something you know similar as well. And I know both you and I had a chance to step away from you know from some things for a little while and recharge the batteries. But it feels good to sort of fire the uh, the old podcast machine back up. Yeah, it does. I almost couldn't remember how to like log on to the website and, and get all this going. It's, uh, you know, for the listeners, it's been about four weeks, so not a long time, but we've been on a, on a good run there having something about every, at the very least, every other week, you know, for a while. We had a, we had a pretty good tear dropping we, episodes. So. We did. We did. And, um, you know, I think we'll probably be able to just jump back into that. Hopefully, um, you know, we really got, have been getting awesome feedback from people, you know, both, but mostly good, probably some bad. Um, if so, <laughs> keep it coming. We like all feedback and, uh, we've just, we've been so uh, lucky to have great guests. We have a lot of people lined up who we've been, you know, really close to, you know, penciling in dates and, uh, we've just got a lot, uh, a lot to share and we're just thankful to be on this ride with everybody. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, when you think about it, we, um, we had watch fiend, our friend, Jimmy, uh, we have had, um, Alistair Gibbons, Al ATG vintage. That guy is a, like a salty, colorful, literally been that, been there, done that, got the t-shirt, seen it all kind of guy. Uh, we had Cole Pennington. Yeah. That was a bit of a coup for a brand new tiny little watch podcast. That's awesome. And yeah. yeah, like you said, we have, we have some more good stuff, some big stuff coming up soon. So we need to get back into the rhythm. So anyway, we're checking back in today, which is great. And I'm just very happy to see you. I am. You know, we haven't had a chance to do a full debrief. Um, I, I don't know if I mentioned it before we, on our one of the last pods or not, but uh, we had a chance to, to do some, some big travel this summer, which was much needed. And it felt really um, thankful to be able to do that. We were in Santorini um, in July. And oh, wow, what a special place. It was our first time over there. Um, and just the food, the weather, the people, unbelievable time. Um, really. It just it, I was expecting big things and it, it totally blew them out of the water in, in terms of expectations. Um, tons of local wine, lots of Greek beer. Um, and the great news was the travel was relatively uneventful, which is actually saying a lot considering, you know, it was the week that uh, the UK had their Freedom Day and we were flying through London. Um, so felt a little unsure about how that was going to go coming from the States through London while they were they weren't fully open yet. They sort of opened as we were in Greece and coming back through. Um, but everything went off without a, a hitch and uh, we felt good about it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Greg, so we might've had a little bit of an issue with audio there, but uh, I'll see if I can take it out in post. But in the meantime, let me just say, yeah, I saw your pictures and it, it reminded me really why I would love to be able to get to Greece at some point. It's just, it looked gorgeous. It looked like a lot of fun. And while I'm not a fan of Greek wine, um, I am definitely a fan of Greek food. Yeah. Oh, so I don't know how you could jealous. Be. Um, you know, some, some minor watch related things, nothing crazy. I, you know, in, in Heathrow, I, I mentioned on, on my page, but in Heathrow, um, Rolex boutique was a, a bust as expected. Um, watches of Switzerland had some really cool stuff. Um, some things I thought were great, you know, from Omega, um, Panerai, um, you know, some of the other Tudor, you know, the brands you would sort of expect, but the highlight was Bulgari, the Bulgari boutique in terminal five. What's well, not a boutique kind of more of a pop-up, um, and seeing the Octo, um, Finissimos in person. 
awesome. And that was just so much more fun than any of the other, you know, stores. Um, <laughs> probably came this close to maybe coming home with a souvenir. Um, but there's, it's really changed my perception, I think, of Bulgari. Not that it was bad before, but just elevated it to another level, having touched them, seen them, held them. Um, beautiful finishing, insanely thin, um, well-executed. It's just really cool. Super cool. Yeah, I I also have had my eyes open on Bulgari. I've really appreciated their um, the ladies' pieces that they do. You know, like the art and jewelry pieces. Um, they're fantastic. Obviously, they've got a great history of doing something like that. But I've never really seen myself wearing any of sort of the the men specific pieces. But the octos are amazing. I'm glad you got to see that. Super um, cool. I did a what, um, I did a. Uh, go ahead. Oh, I was about to say, what watch did you wear on the trip though? Exactly. You, you read my mind. I, I did. I, I wore my Casio world time. What is it? The, uh, I love some of these nomenclatures, right? AE 1200 WHD. Anyway, the stainless, you know, yep. on the stainless bracelet, silver case. Um, I was committed to it. I, I, I didn't really rack my brain that hard on it. I wanted something that was not going to be a worry in one for one instant. Um, I wanted something that could, you know, you could wear out to dinner, you could wear, you know, out on a boat in the, in the GNC. Um, and I did a small post about it when we got back and shared a couple of pictures that to me is the travel watch, you know, all summer long, all year long, right. Uh, watch podcasts and, and, and trade journals and blogs. We're always talking about what's the perfect travel watch. And it's the Casio world time. It keeps four time zones, you know, in, in, in the click of a button. It has water resistance, 100 meters. You, you still put it on a bracelet. You can swap it out, put it on something else if you like. Um, it looks, you know, relatively dressed up to, you know, a non-watch person, a civilian, if you will. And, uh, and, and you can wear it without a worry. It goes from the beach to the dinner and it's perfect. And uh, forget all the talk about perfect travel watch. The Casio World Time, you know, Royale is, is the way to, way to go. Well, and it's a, uh, it's like spraying yourself with a can of thief repellent and <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, I know. I agree. I once posted that watch. I have the exact same watch and I, you know, posted kind of a tongue in cheek, you know, wrist check with it. Like, Hey, you know, the, the world timer life chose me y'all kind of thing. I got so many comments out of the woodwork. I bet secretly like everybody in the watch fam has some flavor of that watch. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Everybody loves it. Good choice. Good choice. Well, hey, moving on. Speaking of which, um, let's do a wrist check, poor check, dude. What have you got on today? I have, uh, you know, it had been a few few days. Actually, I'm back in the office now um, on sort of a, a hybrid schedule, actually about to be, you know, pretty much there. Um, and so I've started wearing my uh, 16710 GMT um, Master 2 with a more frequency. Um, you know, it just goes. It was always supposed to be sort of the Monday through Friday um, sort of business to business casual look, uh, you know, like a five digit, uh, Rolex, uh, sports model can do. And so, um, you know, it feels good. I love having it on. It's, it's, it's my, you know, it's, it's my always watch. Um, and so anyway, giving it some run in the glass, I've got, uh, it was a recommendation from a friend, um, uh, Trapel Carmelite. I hope I'm seeing that right. That's a Belgian, um, Trapel, obviously. And, uh, wow, it's been a while since I've played around with, um, with some trapels. Um, it was awesome. 8.4%. So it's, it's boozy, but it does not drink that, that heavy. It's, it's, you know, a little bit more, I, I felt more like a Cezanne, you know, just, you know, you had that sort of, um, flavor profile, but it was not heavy and boozy. Um, but you know, by the time you finish off, um, you know, uh, I, I don't know what size of bottle that is it's gotta be what 600. 600 milliliters, 700 milliliters. Anyway, you're feeling pretty solid. So, um, is it like the size of like the, the full size delirium tremens? Exactly. And I would put it, I would put it next to a, to a delirium and, and give us a thought to which one you like better. Um, I'd say this one in my personal opinion might slightly edge it out. Ooh, that's a bold statement. Okay. So we'll have to do that. I was mentioning prior to, you know, starting recording that, um, Trapels and saisons are good fall beers for me. I'm, I'm not big on them in the summer. They they are pretty big, but uh, okay. Note to self: Trapel Carmelite. I'll give it a whirl. And I hope I said it right. If I didn't, someone correct me. Matt, what's on your wrist? What's in your glass, man? Well, I'm not going to try to quote the reference number because I can I can tell you uh, GMTs and Explorers and even subs, but I don't know the reference numbers well enough to quote it off the top of my head. But I also have a five digit Rolex. But in this case, it's the 
that kind of the tried and true goes with everything. 36 millimeter steel and white gold uh, date just. It's the white dial stick stick indices. And it's just, you know, on the Jubilee. And it is awesome. It just wears like a nice, you know, faded pair of jeans. And, um, or I should say a worn in pair of jeans, I guess. That's the analogy I'm looking for. Both of and them. It's, yeah. It's just a, a phenomenal, wonderful watch. And, you know, I'm... I'm an old geezer now, so I need the Cyclops, which I used to hate, but now I, I grudgingly accept on my watches. It's pretty cool. I uh, it makes me feel like I need a Jubilee in my in my life. Uh, there is something about a Jubilee watch, you know. Um, we have our our friend or my friend, I guess, but Hungry Jim. Hey Jim, if you're listening, uh, he got his first serious watch in a long time. He has a, a, a nice watch or two, but it, you know, his first new purchase in many, many years. And he got a, the blue, uh, black Bay 58. So, you know, we did that and kind of celebrated about that. And within two days, he starts talking to me about, you know what, it would be really good as like another watch, just a, a, a perfect, like two or three watch quiver. I really need something like, and he just described a day chest. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, it, it was on my wrist at the time. I'm like, here, just, just check it out. Yep. Anyhow, and in the glass, um, it's probably the beer equivalent to a date just Sam Adams, Boston lager goes with everything. Um, literally nothing special. And it is, uh, I guess it's no longer in the realm of micro brew. It's pretty macro brew, but it's still good quality for me. And I just, uh, I like it. So, you know, I think if that wasn't on brand for spirit of time, right. Uh, equating, you know, a beer to, or any drink for that matter to a, to a timepiece, then I don't know what is, um, you know, I think Sam Adams is still technically a craft beer. You know, I think they're literally the upper bandwidth in terms of, you know, whatever the measurement is, I forget what it is, barrels per year or whatever. Um, and, but you know what, they've carved, I think they, they set the, you know, they, they made it possible for a lot of people. So, um, you know, I think it's awesome. Yeah. Well, when you think of, of like a, like you said, a craft beer, you know, made to a pretty high standard that really tastes good and has mass appeal, but that is also pretty widely distributed. I think these guys had to be the first. So, you know, my, my hat's off to them and they're an important contributor. So yeah, absolutely. Not to our podcast though. Not yet. Not yeah. yet. Are you, are you listening? What's yeah, his name? No, I forget his name, Sam. I think it's Jim cook, Jim, Jim. Yeah. Yeah. But I, you know what? I'm saying that and I have no idea. I think I'm pretty sure that's it, but maybe, maybe. I just asked if Sam Adams' owner's name was Sam. Am I serious with that? Come on. Yeah. Well, maybe it was at one point. I don't know. I don't know. There's probably at least one Sam on their board. So there's been a lot of stuff going on since we we jumped last on the pod, huh? Oh my God. The watch world for the past few weeks, especially the past few days, has been on fire. So this is what Geneva watch days. And prior to that, there was a number of, of fairly, in, in our wheelhouse, our world anyway, some fairly big releases too from you know, Grand Seiko. And I think Seiko had some drops and there's some Oris stuff and, you know, now a lot of things coming out. Um, so yeah, there's definitely some stuff to talk about. And I think the thing that sort of jumped out at me, you know, a week or so ago was the, um, the, I think it's America only the trio of limited edition kind of low production. No, I guess they are limited edition. Um, you know, a hundred odd of each of these three, I think are going to be made, but the three light green variation dials for Grand Seiko. So these are the, um, the SBGW two, seven, three, seven, five, and seven, seven. You've seen these, right? I've seen them. I dig them. Um, kind of give you what my, my, my green Pantones are for them. I don't know if this is not what Seiko is calling them, but I made my own. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, and after at some point offline, you're going to have to tell me, I hear that word all the time, like in the design world, in the art world, it's like, what the hell is Pantone? <laughs> all right. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to say it now. So someone can correct, can correct me when I'm wrong. So I'm not giving right. you misinformation off the air. From what I understand, it's like the standardized number equivalent for a color. So if you told a designer red, he wasn't just like, oh, which red you would say, you know, two, seven, seven, four. And that was a very specific defined red. Okay. You know, crimson, for instance, or cardinal or whatever, you know, each one has its own number, I think. Got it. Well, break it down for me. What do you think of these three different kinds of green? Although I swear one of them is really more blue. Uh, I agree with you. I'm going to go pistachio, 
I'm going to go turquoise, which was my, my, I thought that was a sort of blue green kind of, that's probably what we're thinking of together on that one. And I hesitated to call it forest green because I don't think it's quite deep enough, but I'm just going to call it forest green for now. So I got pistachio, turquoise, forest green. Okay. I'm going to see your pistachio and turquoise, and I'm going to raise you an avocado. Ooh. What do you think? A very ripe avocado. Yeah. 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 Oh God. Now I want guacamole. (laughs) Nothing stopping you. Yeah. Right. But yeah, this is the, I think what I really like about this. So, you know, I'm, I have a, a real soft spot for Seiko and Grand Seiko in particular. I've had a couple still have, have one and we'll probably have another at some point. I love the, the, what appeals to me is it's got that kind of classic K shape that probably would go for just about any kind of occasion, you know, that isn't literally like, you know, mixing cement, you know, to pour a patio or something. But otherwise, it just goes with just about anything you'd want to do. And it's this 37 millimeter, 37.3, 37.5, thereabouts. I, I obviously, I've, I don't have hands on with them. I've never really mic'd them. But that 37 millimeter, because I, I've had one in that size, is a really, really nice sweet spot. But the one that I had was automatic. This one is going to be hand wound. So you know it's a lot slimmer more rounded. It's probably just going to be like butter on the wrist. What do you think? Absolutely. I mean, it, this, these are going to be, you know, darlings on whoever um, gets them on their wrist. I do believe they are limited. So they're not going to, we're not going to see a ton of them out in the wild. Is that right? I think that's probably right. My understanding is that they're gone, you know, that they're, spoken they were all, all spoken for pretty quickly. Um, if let's just say this existed you know, it, 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 a dealer shelf though. I mean, which of the three do you think you prefer? I think I'm on the pistachio and, um, I give credit probably to, you know, that brightling that came out maybe just what a few months ago for maybe setting me down that path. I don't think that would have been a dial color that would have immediately, you know, sparked my interest, but, um, and you know what folks green is not a fad. I think this is clear now. Right. Uh, yeah. It's staying. It's here. It's here for the long haul. I mean, blue was once a fad, I think, at one point. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think I would be the contrarian. So I definitely like the pistachio as well. And like you, the first like watch that I thought was really credible and pulled that off was that, um, you know, the small kind of time time only chronomat that Breitling had. And I got to try one of those actually um, a couple of months ago. That's a really nice watch for somebody. Yeah, you said it was good in person. Yeah, you know, if if somebody wants to maybe stay away from Rolex and maybe pay a bit less, but still have that same kind of um, wrist feel and that that presence, uh, but with a again that oh god that off to use phrase, but that pop of color, mm-hmm. that uh, that smaller you know ostensibly quote unquote unisex or even kind of woman size, like I would definitely would have no trouble wearing that you know, not at all, not at all. Yeah. And if I think, you know, watch design these days, I mean, obviously we've, everybody's talked about it sort of ad nauseum, right? That's everything's, you know, stainless steel sports models, but, um, you know, things have trended downward for the most part, right? We're getting, we're talking right now about 37.3 millimeter cases on these grand (laughs) Seikos. Things have trended downward in, in size back to the, to the right place, probably in a lot of people's opinions. Um, and, but also we've gotten a lot of color, I think in a super cool way, not in a seventies and sixties kind of way where there was really funky color, but actually just big, bold colors on the entire dial. I mean, it's, it's made itself clear right through all the, you know, all the OP, uh, colors that came out. We're seeing, you know, green across on everything, uh, the Oris candy cotton or like cotton candy. Uh, I mean, we're just seeing fun color. We're seeing fun color, not in the way that the, they used to do it, you know, 40, 40 years ago, but in a way that makes sense for today. Yeah, totally. So yeah, to get back to what I was about to say before, I mean, I think realistically, I probably would take the pistachio. I, I really like the blued hand too, but um, just to be different, maybe I would go with the one that is a little bit more sort of sea foam green, whatever we want to call it, but the one that's a little more blue. Mm-hmm. Very cool, but I love it. And it seems like, oh, go ahead, Greg, I just interrupted you. No, no, no I was just agreeing with you. I think that one is is probably, you know, I think that would work a lot of ways, you know, that would probably be an easy, you know, daily driver. 
it's got, you know, it's, it's sort of unique enough that it's not just, you know, your run of the mill color, but it's not so far off the wall that, you know, you have to be careful, not careful, who cares, but you know, you're one, you're, you're being, you know, considerate of what you're wearing or whatever. Yeah, no, I get it. Well, I think the other thing though, the elephant in the room is the price. I mean, the LEs, some of these, um, from any brand, but especially Grand Seiko, I mean, they've definitely been creeping up and what was really great about this, I think, and I, I, I assure other people said the same thing, but you know, this, the price point for this is a lot more in line with what, you know, five, six, seven years ago, people sort of fell in love with Grand Seiko for, you know, you got a, a really good design, timeless, the execution is just absolutely kind of peerless. And you don't even have to qualify it by saying, you know, quote, for the price point. But at 4300 bucks, I mean, this is this is good. This is really good. I, I, I hope they do more of this and make these more available for people because it's, um, in terms of the movement, it's not like it's, you know, hot horology or anything. But at the same time, I mean, the way they execute, you know, the cases, the dials, it's right up there with literally the best and it's cool i like what you said um in terms of um you don't have to qualify it anymore it just is what it is it's just well executed regardless of where you know you want to place it on you know the price scale yeah totally well hey that's enough for gs what was the next one that kind of caught your eye Really cool Oris, um, Big Crown Pro Pilot. I uh, hope I'm saying this right. Riga Fleet Limited Edition. Limited edition. Um, really super interesting colorway. Um, 41 millimeter K. Everybody knows the details on on the Pro Pilot. Don't really need to get into that. But um, you know, gray PVD case, GMT hand with a red tip that really pops. Um, and do you know much about this Riga Fleet? So really only a little bit. I mean, it's my understanding is that it's a um it's a nonprofit and I think they do aeromedical evac of like Swiss nationals and you know, like that from all over the world. I think they do also within the borders of Switzerland. Um I would like to learn more about it. I'm I'm more familiar. I think um Hamilton is kind of adjacent with this company, but there's a uh um based out of Zermatt, Switzerland, there's Air Zermatt. And I think that's, you know, on more people's radar. This seems like a bigger, more robust, more global, sort of globally oriented, you know, operation, but the same kind of thing. And yeah, they operate a number of different uh, type of aircraft, I think, you know, including they've got the, uh, well, I think we here in the U.S. military would call it the Lakota but the, the Eurocopter, um, Airbus helicopter. And then they also have a, a jet fleet. And I think they also have a PC 12s, which are, um, you know, also in, in service all over the world. It's a really good high performance, uh, Swiss built aircraft. That's awesome. Now, if I, if I kind of read correctly, I, I, what I understood, but there were, they had 21 different aircraft and, each of those aircraft are going to be are, are going to be in the on the case back. So you're going to have this super interesting, you know, case back design. Each one specific to that aircraft, and a hundred of each, which ends up making it a twenty one hundred piece run. Um, pretty interesting, really cool. It, I mean, it pops, man. That thing is that the. How can you go wrong with you know, red, white, and like black, gray. Oh yeah. I think in terms of the aesthetics, I really like it. I really like the size. Um, you know, a lot of people, because that is one of the cool things. I mean, pilots are supposed to be a little bit bigger, but some of these, um, have historically been bigger than this. And I think this is going to just work perfectly, you know, for a lot of people, a lot of mass market appeal with this. I love the red. Um, I probably would get the black strap, you know, looking at two different versions here, one with the black and one with red, the red strap might be a little over the top, but you know, I love anything with GMT functionality. That's cool. I also, um, you know, noticed it's not, it doesn't have a chronograph feature, but it does have, um, graduations around the, uh, the bezel for pulsation. So, you know, that's kind of a, an interesting sort of EMT hack that would be kind of cool. I don't yeah. know. I like it. 
from what I gathered, I mean, they really, it wasn't just like, Hey, we're going to slap on, you know, some, some logos. It was like, Hey, we're, we're talking to the pilots. We're talking to, you know, the people that are out on these missions and these are the things that they wanted on this piece. And that's probably how you should do it. Yeah. It's really, really cool. I, um, I think, you know, we'll talk here in just a second about another of the Oris pieces, but this is, this is the Oris that probably has spoken to me more than anything, you know, recently. And this could conceivably be sort of on my want list. I, I like it. By the way, I may have misspoken. Looking through this, I thought I read somewhere else that they um, that they maintain the uh, the Pilatus fixed wing. And here in, in this write up, it doesn't indicate that they do. So I may have misspoken. I might be thinking about a different organization. But, okay, um, we'll, we'll put our fact checkers on this. Yeah, yeah. Anyhow, so yeah, I, I think there's another podcast we listen to that says don't add us, don't at me. Actually, if it's about airplanes, you can at me. If no, I say it, yeah, you can you can add us all day. I'm fine with it. Right on. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, overall, that's for me. That is like uh, you know, ten of ten would recommend this watch. I like it a lot. It's super cool. Yeah. Speaking of Oris, I think you mentioned there was some other things that came out from those guys as well. Yeah, there is. Well, there's another um, another piece that they've got and. This one, I think, is going to be appealing to a lot of people. I think they've done something similar, but instead of, you may recall, they had a, a dive watch maybe a year or two years ago where they had sort of that upcycled ocean plastic. You're aware that that's the plastic adrift in the ocean, especially in parts of the Pacific. This is huge, huge environmental problem. And Oris and a few other companies have, you know, really tried to uh, shine a spotlight on that. So they had done these like discs or medallions of this plastic that had been sort of repurposed, you know, kind of melted down, I presume, and used on the case back. Well, in this case, they've just sort of flipped the script and each one of these unique sort of upcycled plastic discs forms the basis of the dial for these new Aquas watches. And, you know, Aquas is a mainstay for them. I think that's kind of their flagship diver, mm-hmm. you know, and they're, they're, technology sort of demonstrator. So they've got the new movement that goes into the Aquas first, presumably, um, you know, and just good movement, good, um, I should say good materials in these watches. My only concern with these things, and I, I did ask around to kind of confirm this. I think each dial is going to be unique, which is cool because of the way these colors come together. But you know, what I would advise people is make sure, you know, you don't buy these things. This is just me but I'm sure other people would agree with this. Don't buy one of these things sight unseen. Like make sure you you've seen what it looks like because some, some of the pictures I've seen, again, you, you know, you see five of these watches, two or three of them look great. And then one or two of them are like borderline illegible because there's so much white in the dial and the plastic of the dial that, um, you know, the handset can get lost. And, you know, again, that's just to my old eyes, but that would really bug me. So that's, I think the only potential downside is on the, you know, on the one hand, it's unique. Every, every watch is going to be almost piece unique, but on the other hand, um, some of them might, you know, have that Daytona effect where you just look at the dial and it's like, where's the handset? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a good point. Actually, the pictures that, um, James Stacy had put up on Hodinkee were really nice. Um, if I kind of understood it correctly, there was two sizes, right? A 41 and a half. Yeah, 36 and a half. I, I love how they're doing halves on that. Um, and the, uh, the smaller, the 36 and a half had this sort of more colorful iridescence to it, in my opinion. And the larger, the 41 and a half was sort of this more subdued mix of like white, brown, brown, blue, a little more earth tone. Um, so you had a choice in which way you wanted to take the color, but it was specific to, to which size, um, watch you went. Yeah. I think that's the other thing I would say too, is, I mean, Aquas, the larger ones, they're a beefy kind of massive watch, but like certain Seiko designs, because they're, they're as close to lugless as possible. You know, even though they've got this real rounded kind of, you know, thick with two C's, um, you know, profile, they do wear a little smaller than that would suggest. So while I'm, I would probably gravitate to getting the smaller watch. I would, that's another thing I would want to actually have that on wrist and make sure that's not too small. Uh, but yeah, I like it. I think they're cool. I, I like, I, I agree with you. I think the color mix on the smaller one is better and I'm not picking the smaller one because smaller is always better, which is become like this new mantra in the watch fam. 
I love that we're swinging things back to, you know, we're not 44 or 48 and bigger all the time, but it's almost become this like sort of acceptance now that 36 is better than 39 or 40. And I don't fully subscribe to that. I think it's watch specific. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, certain watches are, you know, general purpose watches. I like them a little smaller dive watches, pilots watches. Those are supposed to be bigger, you know, so it's maybe not 46 bigger, but you know, 39, 40, that's a good sweet spot. 36 might be a little, a little too far the other way. And that's why we're hosts together on this map. Um, another piece I wanted to point out, I thought was really cool was, um, the Arnold Sun Globetrotter. Did you catch that one? So I haven't seen that one. You were telling me about this and I would like to hear more about it. I'll, I'll look after we kind of finish up and check that one out. Maybe, um, I think it's going to give you Omega, um, Aquaterra world, world timer vibes. You know, so okay. you sort of have this, you know, um, hemisphere, uh, very central in the dial, very prominent, you know, so it's, you're, you're basically looking at, you know, the earth, the, a globe. And, um, so, but then you have your kind of classic world time, you know, function, uh, it's, it's different. whereas, you know, it's not, um, fixed around, you know, the, the, uh, the exterior of the dial, you know, it's, there's sort of a disc that is just outside of, of the globe, um, which is where the, the world timer function sort of operates. Um, but just striking just like that Omega is, you know, the, the, the Omega world timer is just a striking piece. It's real, um, Instagram, you know, darling for good reason. Um, photographs beautifully. It's very striking. Obviously you're not used to seeing a, you know, a huge globe, uh, on somebody's watch every day. Um, but there's Arnold and someone, you know, really, really cool. Um, probably a brand that we don't talk a lot about, you know, it's just not in our wheelhouse obviously all the time. Um, but one that probably the, you know, watch community, you know, at large probably doesn't talk about as much as obviously a lot of others. So I just wanted to highlight what I thought was a really cool piece. Um, it's big, it's 45 millimeters, but I mean, come on, you got a globe on your wrist. Why wouldn't you want to highlight that? Um, limited to 88 pieces, if I understood correctly, you know, it's 18, 19,000, you know, francs, you know, it's a piece of, you know, really beautiful horology. Um, the, 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 the loom is sort of, um, follows the, uh, the borders of the continents. And so at night, I mean, you know, can, you can imagine those, uh, Friday night loom battles, um, pretty damn cool with that thing, but, uh, really cool. It really neat. It's got a big bridge over the 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 the, the front of the dial too, which is sort of, I guess, um, acts to uh, maintain sort of a structural integrity for the for the top of the globe. But anyway, really striking piece, big, beautiful, you know, blue dial globe in the middle of it, very Omega Aquaterra World Timer vibes, um, but done in a, in an Arnold and Son way, um, which I think our friends at Feldmar carry Arnold and Son, don't they? You know, that's a good question. I think they do. I think they do. In my mind, um, as you say, that's that's a brand that's not generally in my wheelhouse. I, I'll walk past that part of the uh, the showroom on my way to something like, um, you know, maybe Breguet or Omega or something like that. But yeah, I think they do carry that. And I'm a sucker for anything that looks like that. Certainly 45 millimeter or whatever for that watch is probably pretty appropriate. I don't think you're trying to be too low key if no, you're, you're not. If, <laughs> if you're the, the target audience for a watch like that. I agree. Cool, cool. Well, hey, um, also not low key. So uh, one of the other kind of, I think it's very cool. It's certainly not excessively priced, (laughs) but I think one of the neatest watches that came out with some interesting news too. I mean, this is kind of a little industry update, but so Gerald Genta, obviously everybody's familiar with that name, right? Um, You know, famous watch designer, but also a brand. Um, under sort of under Bulgari and I think uh, Bulgari, 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 potato, potato. But uh, they've announced that they're going to spin that off as its as its own sort of entity, a brand entity. And they have a Mickey Mouse watch that they introduced, and it is it's what what can I say? I mean, it's gorgeous. Like the the case design is fantastic. It it almost looks like sort of Timex, Bremont. And Breguet, like all had a mashup, you know, the case like flank architecture, it's got these sort of vertical columns. If you, if you've seen it very reminiscent of Breguet, um, and it's, you know, got the typical kind of a Mickey mouse thing, but instead of the two hands articulating around the dial, it's basically, it's a, uh, you know, a jumping hour and the hand is basically arcing through probably you know, I'd say probably about 
12 to 7? Maybe, well, yeah, exactly. Um, well, no, I was going to say, yeah, yeah, 7 to about 4 o'clock. And so you basically have zero, you know, at the 7 position and then kind of working um, uh, counter, you know, clockwise going around about two thirds of the dial to 60. So presumably that's, um, actually I wasn't able to determine if that was retrograde or not. So if there's going to be a snapback or if it's just going to follow through. I was just going to ask you that. And I'm thinking retrograde. I have to think so. Um, for the price that they're charging, I would hope it's retrograde. This thing is 16,500 euros (laughs) for a Mickey mouse watch in steel. Thank you very much. So, um, yeah, to me, this is, um, it's certainly less pricey than some other things, but this is very much on the list of FU watches to wear to the the fancy get together. But it's a really, it's a, I think it's a really, really handsome watch in terms of like the, the overall design and the way they executed it. And it's going to be interesting to see, okay, you know, every once in a while things have dropped with that name. Um, and now if it's going to be its own sort of standalone kind of brand entity, are there going to be more things that come, you know, that are going to be different from the rest of, you know, what Bulgari offers? So here's an know. interesting neat. question. It's super neat. Um, why has, I mean, and I think they have like this, why has a Gerald Genta branded watch? Why do they never really take off? And I say that maybe uninformed because, but what, from what I gather, they have a cult following and people appreciate them, but it seems like from afar, right? So he's, you know, by far, you know, one of the most influential, you know, watch designers, you know, of our lifetimes. But why does his branded stuff never really seem to pop, I guess? It's a good question. I've never seen one in the wild. Have you? No. Nope. I've seen but everybody, but everybody loves to just, you know, quickly, oh, right, you know, AP, you know, uh, Paddock, I mean, uh, tell you, you know, IWC, the beautiful designs, and they are, I mean, they're, and they're timeless, they're, they're, they're some of the most iconic designs um, that we could all think of. I'm just, it's just an interesting, it's a curious thought exercise. Yeah, no, this makes me want to actually go and kind of the, hit the Google machine and, and pull up some of his other, you know, um, I guess, eponymous watches and you know, see what, uh, what they look like, what they've done. I can picture a few of them in my head, but they're so relatively obscure, at least to me, that that's not something that's sort of in my mental Rolodex that I have immediate access to the, the imagery, not certainly not the way you do, like you said, for, you know, a, uh, uh, a Nautilus or a Royal Oak or an NG. So I don't know. It'll be something to talk about over over a beer or a cocktail sometime. Yeah, sorry to give us homework, but and I didn't when you, I didn't mean to rain on Mickey's parade either because that watch is fun as hell. That's cool. Yeah, well, like you said, it's um, it is very fun. It's not going to be on my wrist anytime soon. I I've got other things to do with that kind of scratch, but it's it's very cool looking. Yeah, no, it really is. It really is. So hey, we we've got we've got a cocktail matchmaker. We're back, baby. Yeah, we haven't done one in a long time, and I kind of posed this question. So instead of reaching out to the fam, um, you know, we've had uh, a few people kind of give us suggestions, but this one comes from you, so thank you. So here's the pitch for people listening. Uh, I have a a kid who's like got a, a highly restricted diet; she's allergic to everything. So when we do find something that she likes, you know, my wife will like, you know, make the the hell out of it and just do all kinds of iterations and stuff like that, and just you know, milk it for everything it's worth. And so the kick lately has been like a fettuccine Alfredo with seafood, usually shrimp. And suddenly, you know, my kid just adores that. So if you can kind of, you know, you know what that's like. This is a a fairly heavy noodle, um, you know, really kind of a a, a rich, kind of a a milky, dairy heavy, um, you know, mouthfeel. It tends to be pretty heavy. There's not really much bright to it, although you could add, I suppose, some lemon or whatever, but it's really more about like, um, you know, texture and that, you know, that quality. And I wanted a cocktail that would go with that, that I could make for my wife, like after she had prepared. It's usually, you know, she has to scratch make a lot of stuff and I just like to do that. So I was kind of curious about things. We kicked around a number of ideas. Um, I didn't want to just do something. I want something kind of that avoids, right? The things that we've talked about in the past. I don't need smoke. 
Um, I don't need anything like super rich and heavy because the meal, you know, the food is already like that. So I'd like something a little more bright, um, you know, maybe with something like a little bit of acid to cut through that, but not, you know, something that is not pedestrian, like, you know, a martini. And you had a great idea. So, so let me, me, let me, let me toss this out there. Tell me what you think. And and this was a really, this was a fun one and an interesting and a tough one because I mean, pairing a cocktail to, you know, a cream based um, pasta dish is really not something you do often. At least I don't. And so this was, a, this was fun. I was thinking, I'm going to call this a sparkling Negroni. And I think there's some other variations that might use a play on that. I know there's, anyway, let me get through it now. And then with, I'm sure someone will correct us, but let's call this a sparkling Negroni, um, which I thought was going to work for a lot of reasons. One, um, as a, you know, as a pasta dish, I think, you know, Negroni, you got Italian, Italian, I think it kind of fits. Um, we were going, you know, with gin, I thought immediately our, our wheels started turning and we thought gin was going to be a, a gin based cocktail for this meal. And, um, but at the same time we needed something with a little effervescence. We needed, um, maybe something, you know, to sort of, um, cut through, you know, the kind of decadent, uh, cream sauce, the Alfredo. And so we're going to, we're going to call this one, like we said, the sparkling Negroni. Um, you can play with the proportions, but it, this is really essentially just a Negroni. Um, we made some very small substitutions. So you got an ounce and a half of gin. Um, we're going Aperol, um, uh, on this one instead of Campari. So ounce of Aperol, half an ounce of vermouth, um, top up with soda water and garnish with a grapefruit peel, a riff on a classic Negroni, basically just with soda water. I think it's going to play nice on the dish. I think it's also still a nice kind of, uh, uh, kind of refreshing. We're still, you know, the tail end of, of sort of summer here. And so I think that'll work really well. And I don't think it'll feel disconnected from the shrimp Alfredo. Whereas, you know, you could have, we could have shoehorned another cocktail that would have been delicious too, but this actually feels relatively connected, which is the whole point of this, right? Is to put these two things together. What do you think? I I think that's a great idea. I'm definitely going to try it. I love a Negroni. Um, and initially when we started talking about this, I was like, okay, that's a good place to start. Right. You know, kind of Italian adjacent. Um, but as, as you say, you know, or maybe you didn't say, but when we talked about it before, you know, it's got like a, it's very sweet, it's heavy, it's very boozy. Um, and it's got this viscous kind of mouthfeel that does not separate itself in a good way from, um, you know, from the dish itself, right. From the food. Um, so I think your, your idea of having some fizz to it, I probably would work the, the proportions a little bit to maybe back down on this. I keep the gin backbone. So it's got mm-hmm. that good, bright kind of, um, you know, uh, uh, juniper berry kind of a spine and, you know, maybe bring down just a little bit, you know, the other two sort of boozy ingredients so that there's literally a little more room for volume of, you know, either, you know, a club soda or soda water, something like that. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, compared to Campari, Ap- uh, Aperol is going to be a little bit less heavy in terms of um, ABV, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. And I think profile-wise too, a little bit, um, which is sort of a nice uh, way to sort of dial this one back a little bit. Um, and uh, it's funny, you know, we, like you said, we both were like, okay, gin-based, Negroni came right to mind. And then you immediately you said, but, you know, something with some fizz. And uh and so, you know, the wheel started turning on this one and there's a few other, you know, Negroni riffs. And I think one of them is called an Americano. And I think essentially they actually replace the gin with Prosecco. Um, and so I've seen people call that maybe like a sparkling, you know, uh, Negroni too, or, uh, or some other kind of nomenclature. So you could even play with even this and, and, and there are some riffs on the Negroni, um, that use similar, you know, kind of naming. Um, but again, you know, I think it kind of fits. It doesn't feel shoehorned, feels like it's actually supposed to go with the dish. And, and that's our job here. Yeah, absolutely. I would love to hear from other people too who listen to this. Any kind of commentator, commentators, commenters, um, you know what they would suggest for something like this. Because when you think about it, really, I mean, you could do something as simple as you know, like you said, um, you know, a uh, uh, well, even just go like go straight with like a dry champagne, you know, or any any number of other sort of fizzy you know, cocktails that had a a little bit astringent or a little bit acidic. Um, 
And I would love to hear what other people kind of have with this kind of dish because fettuccine Alfredo is not exactly reinventing the wheel. <laughs> I mean, a lot of people, you know, have that. And for people like to, to understand, so my kid is, you know, like deadly allergic to wheat or, well, she's not deadly allergic to wheat, but she's, you know, celiac. So we have to use an alternative type of pasta. No big deal. That's popular now. You can get that all the time. But the same thing with dairy. So dairy is a serious problem for her. So all of the, the dairy related stuff in these, um, the dishes that are, are done are in, with substitutions. And, you know, it's a lot of work for my wife. She puts a lot into it to be creative. I'd love to, you know, hear what other people would want to do. Cause I would like to vary this because one of the things we'll, once my kid finds something that she likes, we'll probably have that in the rotation like twice a month. Yeah. Well, we're looking forward to the picks. Um, didn't someone, didn't someone imitate your meat pick this past week? Yes. It was pretty good. Yes. Yes. <laughs> shout out to, shout out to my man, Zeke, Speedmaster addict here in oh, Southern good. California. That was great. Although I can't take credit for the meat pick because right. the, the other sort of, you know, Negroni file um, is uh, Matt Hranick and that's something that he does. And so I would take these pictures all the time and tag him and like, Hey dude, look, I, you know, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. I'd like to think I'm pretty good with the meat. So, um, boy, that that's, that's just ripe with double entendre. <laughs> Maybe I'll edit that out. But, no, 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 no. It stays. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not even halfway through this beer anyway. Yeah. So we'll, we'll give that a whirl and, um, and see how that goes and I'll see if I can, uh, get some pictures of that. Yeah, please. And, and folks, let us know what you think, you know, if you, if you, you know, swap out something else or, or play with those proportions differently. So, Hey, let's, um, let's take it home. What, uh, what's sort of on your culture recommendations list or your sort of non-watch related content that you're loving right now? Give us something to, um, to check out. So I actually, um, I would actually recommend, because this is what I'm going to do, is I'm going to revisit. I think a lot of people, if um, if you listen to the Great NATO, you've probably have heard about uh, Air Zermatt. So we talked a little bit about the uh, the Oris uh, Riga watch today. But the other sort of thing in that sort of that same space is Air Zermatt. And there's some other agencies too, other organizations. And it's a fascinating organization. There's an amazing series. Um, that is called the horn. And I believe there's a part two. So I'm going to investigate and see if there's a part two, but if you've never seen the original run of the series, it's about four or five years old. Um, it's very, very well done. There's a lot of aviation, a lot of, uh, aeromedical rescue, a lot of technical rescue, and it really kind of dives into, you know, what life is like, you know, right up close to, mm-hmm. to the mountain, you know, there's a, a fairly, you know, you'd be surprised at the number of people seriously injured and killed it on, you know, particular Alpine features. And, uh, certainly, you know, uh, Zermatt is surrounded by that, um, every year. And yeah. so, you know, it's, it's, uh, challenging conditions. The weather's typically bad. There's snow a lot of the year, um, at high elevation. And so it's very challenging technical flying and, and technical, like, uh, you know, long line and vertical rescue scenarios. And it explores a lot of that stuff. And it's just really, really interesting. So go find it. It's on the horn. Um, folks, sorry, I'm just kind of winging this. I thought I'd remember. I don't remember if it's Amazon or Netflix. I think it's Netflix, but uh, well worth a look. Um, and yeah, I'm going to do some homework on Riga and see if there's anything out there on them too. That sounds really interesting. Um, I'm going to find it. I'm trying to do a quick search here where it might be. And uh, I can't quite find it, although Netflix is popping up a few times. So maybe start with Netflix and, and we'll update maybe in the show notes. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, um, bonus, they are also vaguely kind of watch adjacent because, uh, as I, I sort of alluded to before, Hamilton has released a number of sort of co, co-branded kind of uh, uh LE, I don't know if they're LE actually, but watches in, um, in conjunction with the, uh, Air Zermatt and their watches sometimes in the horn do feature, you know, the pilots do wear the watches. Super cool. I'm going to go with, um, with an airplane book. And, um, 
it was given to me. Actually, this is going to be perfect. It's going to bookend really well. Uh, Brian from High West Saloon, if you remember a couple episodes back, really fantastic episode if you haven't. I talked to Brian today. Oh, did you? Yeah, I did. I saw him last night, and so I'm moving a little slow today because of that. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> he gave me a book. He's, he's like, read this on your on your flight. It's uh, Seth Seth Rogen. It, it, I, I kind of want to call it a set of memoirs. I don't know how he, how he would describe it, but it's called Yearbook. So Seth Rogen's the author. These are um, his own stories, sort of of his, mostly his childhood. It's a mixture of childhood memories, but also um, certain points throughout his career, uh, mostly earlier on in his career. Um, but, uh, uh, a really fun, easy read. You have to be, you know, sort of down with Seth's comedy, right? I don't, maybe that's not everybody's cup of tea. I don't know. Maybe that's not everybody's style, but if you do like Seth Rogen, if you do appreciate his comedy, I mean, this is going to speak to you. You're going to know, you know, some of the backstories on what he's describing, but also he's just, he tells it in such a fun way. It's, uh, it's like listening to a, uh, a great friend just sit there and tell you a story that you hadn't heard before. And you're just sitting and you're just sitting with them laughing hysterically. It just, how could this possibly have happened to you? This is, you know, just the funniest thing I've ever heard. So <clears throat> excuse me, Seth Rogen's yearbook. Um, and the, the bookend on this is Brian's high West Saloon Casio, his mini, his mini Casio watch, which he is so proud of. <laughs> is uh is inspired by seth um in pineapple express so yeah yeah actually and we'll yeah speaking of pineapple express that's i think going to be you know part of the cultural lexicon again here soon if you haven't already heard of that um you know we'll we'll revisit it another time but a lot of uh former special operations professionals kind of on their own went uh went overseas to do yeah, sorry about that, folks. Had that uh, phone call there, but anyway, um, yeah. Bottom line is, a lot of uh, a lot of people were involved in something that they, you know, called Operation Pineapple Express, and it was a a, a very low key, off the books evacuation, you know, of uh, uh, Afghan interpreters and things like that from kind of the the hinterlands into Kabul. So, anyhow. Super, uh, super timely. Um, well, awesome to get back on the horse with you. Looking forward to sharing this with everybody. Let us know everybody what you think, comments, you know, suggestions. Um, you know, and if you hate it, let us know too. Tell all your worst uh, enemies to listen to it. And uh, we <laughs> will look forward to getting back on here again shortly. Absolutely, man. It's good to see you again, Greg. Take care. See you, Matt. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Don't forget to rate us on your podcast platform of choice. It really does help. You can find us on Instagram at Spirit of Time Podcast and contact us at Spirit of Time Podcast at gmail.com. As always, please drink responsibly. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.